90. You know, when you have a special service like this and you know there are folks here that have never received Christ as their Savior, so you want to be evangelistic and you know that there are the saints of God and they want to, they want something they can hang on to that will be a blessing to them. And the difficult part in a service like this, especially whenever you think back over the years and this being an, the anniversary of the church, it's, it's knowing what to leave unsaid. So you pray for me that I'll uh, leave out the part that doesn't need to be there. Psalms 90, naturally there's a lot that could be said on this subject and a lot that could be said in regards to this particular psalm. But I want you to notice verse 12, but let's read our way there, starting back in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood, and they are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all of our days are passed away, in thy wrath we spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So, so, in light of all of that, so, teach us, because we'll never do it on our own. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's a great benefit to study the prayers recorded in the Bible, and this is one of the most helpful, I think. Keep in mind that this psalm was written by Moses. It's thought to be the oldest of all of the psalms. And if you go back and study the book of Numbers, you'll see that, that this psalm corresponds to that, that time in history. Numbers deals with the children of Israel and their wandering in the wilderness. And as we look at this, it serves as a fit illustration of our lives. It speaks about the past, the present, and the prospect. The three divisions of life. We can't change the past. We can't control the future. But we can chart our course so as to give us the brightest possible prospect. And so as you go through this psalm, you see these three divisions of life, beginning in verse 1 all the way down through verse number 11. We see here the reflections 
of the past, the reflections of the past. And if you stop and think about it, our lives are are divided up like chapters in a book. Sometimes we refer to these these sections or these divisions as anniversaries, those special days that remind us of the past. It reminds us that something notable has happened. And our anniversaries tell the story of our life. We pause to think about them, and that can be of great help sometimes. It can do us good to look back and to see the things that God has done, the privileges that we have enjoyed. And we do that today as a church. We look back and think about all of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us over these many years. But anniversaries not only remind us of the past, they remind us of the passing of time. That time is passing even as I speak. And whenever we look at the at the picture that's painted for us here, it's well, it's like a tale that is told, a little story that is told, and you know, takes a few seconds or a few minutes, and then it's over. It's like the grass that springs up today, and then it withers and dies tomorrow. So we are constantly aware of the passing of time. We can't do anything about the time that's already passed. It is what it is. But there's a lot that we can do about the time that is passing. So we need to think about what we're going to do with the time that we have left. Hopefully, you won't waste your life. Hopefully, you won't just let it go by without making any contribution to your neighbor without any devotion to your Lord, without doing anything that ultimately will bring you everlasting satisfaction, things of no eternal value. So Moses starts out by reflecting on the past, and then he moves on in verse 12 to a request for the present. Over the years, we'd often start the new year off with a church-wide memory verse. And we'd just kind of key in on that for the year. And as the months passed by, I'd often remind folks about our memory verse. And I can say without a doubt that this verse, verse 12, has been the verse that we've used more than any other. And, and, and for, for good reason. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Look, folks, we don't get a second chance. It's not like basketball or football where you can call a timeout. I mean, time is passing and there's no second chance. And every person here is older than they've ever been before. You have less time to live now than you've ever had. And since we belong to Christ, remember, those of us that are saved, it says... Paul said we are bought with a price, right? We belong to Him. We've been redeemed. So because of that, none of us have a right to live as we please. We belong to Him. We don't have the right to just pick and choose that we want to do this or we want to do that. But rather, we have an obligation, a responsibility to live as He pleases. And we ought not to let anything deter us from our duty. The problem is it's so easy for us to get sidetracked. That's a major problem. It's so easy to do. And 
You know, some folks have called this the information age. Well, for good reason. For good reason. It's the information age. But I think it might be better to call it the age of distraction. You think about all of the modern day technology. You think about the entertainment. Probably nobody here right now thinking about the Astros, are you? Well, yeah, I, I, I've already blowed it now, right? If I'd kept my mouth shut, you wouldn't have thought about it. So easy, you know, just sports and things. I'm talking about innocent things, things that are not necessarily sinful, unless you're thinking about Alabama, of course. That, uh... <laughs> and then there's the entertainment, the hobbies. You know, again, things that in and of themselves are not sinful. They're just hobbies, something that we enjoy, something that's a diversion, something that enables us to have a little rest and relaxation. Not anything wrong with it, but some way or another, some way or another, we allow it to get out of hand and it distracts us from the things that we ought to be doing. So it takes effort for us to live the kind of life that God requires. It, it demands the proper priorities, planning, preparation, persistence. So let's think about those things. The proper priorities to live as we should. We have to know what is important and what's not. We have to keep our priorities in the proper order. If you don't know what's important in life, why well, there's no way in the world that you're going to live a life that's been well lived. You're, you're going to end up a failure. You've got to understand what is important? And, and if you don't have your values right, well, you're going to waste your life on things that, that, that are worthless. So we have to establish our priorities and then keep our attention upon them. And look, that's not always that easy. It's harder than you might think because sometimes we allow good things to crowd out the best things. We often do what we prefer rather than what we ought to do. We have to learn to live intentionally. Think about that. Let us sink in. Learning to live intentionally. By that I mean that we cannot, must not be haphazard in our manner of life. We can't just follow the crowd. You know, it's a popular thing to do, so that's what we'll do. Or we can't, we can't just decide we're going to follow our feelings that always gets us in trouble we can't take the easiest route we have to determine what is it that's going to please God rather than self or rather than others and the problem is though the situations are always different for example that sometimes the people need a plumber instead of a preacher I mean if your water pipe is broke in the middle of the night don't call me or Brother Preston. Uh, you need a plumber, right? I mean, so you don't call the preacher and have the preacher come over and pray for you. You don't need prayer. You need a plumber. And, and there, if the ox is in the ditch, you know, you've got to get the ox out of the ditch. Things change. That's why I've often said that sometimes playing with your kids is more important than attending church activities. Playing catch with your son or your daughter in the backyard 
can be more important than being at certain church activities. Going with your daughter to a piano recital, for example, can be more important than certain church activities. And we need the discernment to understand what it is that we ought to do and then the courage to do it. Because sometimes it's those little things that make a big impact on other people. It's real easy even for us preachers to get so caught up and and believe me, I've a thousand times I've looked back over my ministry and thought about 53 years of preaching and thought about the fact that, of course, 32 of that has been spent here. And before that, it was pastoring the church, traveling, traveling, traveling every week on the road, preaching revival meetings and conferences and things of that nature. And... Uh, Believe me, I've looked back so many times and beat myself up because Bev was trying to hold the fort down at home and having problems sometimes with some of the kids. And uh, I thought to myself, maybe, maybe, maybe I should have just stayed home and pastored the church. I was doing exactly what I felt God would have me to do. And... Uh, but believe me, so many times I have felt guilty that I wasn't there when I needed to be. Or at least in my mind, that was the way it was. Well, I'm saying all of that to say this. Folks, it's not always easy to know what you ought to be doing. Sometimes what seems to be so spiritual, oh, they're having this down at the church or that down at the church. And you know me, I, I believe in having regular faithful church attendance. I believe that. But I don't think you ought to attend everything at the church to the exclusion of neglecting your own family, and especially the kids when they're growing up, because they're not going to remember the fact that, boy, you were in Bible study every week. What they're going to remember is that dad or mom, whatever the case might be, always had time for me. They took me fishing. They took me to the ball game. They were there whenever I needed them. And that makes a big impact on a child's life. So proper priorities are essential. But then it takes planning and preparation. And those are two different things, but I'm, for time's sake, going to include them together because they're absolutely essential that we plan and that we prepare. And so many times, you know, we just get this, idea that we're just going to wing it. We go through life and without any sort of a plan whatsoever. And, and thankfully, some get the picture early in life. It's so good whenever you see a young person, maybe a teenager, and they get the picture that I'm going to need an education. And they work hard at it. And, and it might be that they even have to get a job to help pay their way to college or whatever it is. But they, they're planning and they're making preparation to get an education so they can be successful in life. And then you look on the other hand, by way of contrast, you look at those that, well, kind of like I was growing up, the only thing that mattered to me was hunting, fishing, playing ball, and then girls come into the picture, but uh, especially one, and... Uh, that was always important to me. I, I didn't attend church, didn't want to attend church, had no concern about spiritual things whatsoever, didn't have any real desire for education. 
I hated school. I'd just sit there and look out the window and wish I was hunting or fishing. I, I didn't want to be in school. Who needs that? Especially math <laughs> or English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know to this very day I mispronounce words. I butcher words. I, yeah, I understand that. And uh, maybe I ought to pay attention in English uh, and develop the habit of proper pronunciation. But I didn't do that. I didn't need math, and so lo and behold, the first real job I got was in, guess what, civil engineering. Went to work for the Greene County Surveyor's Office, spent a year there, and went to work for the State Highway Department. And boy, if you ever needed math, it's then, and I didn't have a clue. Unlike a lot of the guys, I walked around with my with a lot of these little charts, conversion charts, you know, because uh, I didn't know how to figure out that stuff. And so I had all of the conversion charts and what have you. What I'm trying to say is, young people, listen to me. Don't wait till later in life and decide, okay, I turned 21 yesterday. Now I've got to I got to get serious about what I'm going to do with my life. You better get serious about it right now start planning and making preparation and most of all you better take into consideration what God wants you to do with your life you might decide well I want to be a major league baseball player well if you can make the grade you know go for it if it doesn't interfere with what God wants you to do and then let you off on Sundays to well and so you already know that's not going to work right it's easy for us to decide, I would really love to do that. I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Not anything sinful about being a doctor or <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah, you, all right, you got the picture. It doesn't necessarily have to be sinful. All it has to do is just get in the way of what God wants you to do. Have you ever stopped to think there may be young men sitting here in this congregation? I assure you there are no young women here that God's calling to preach. But there may be young men here that God is calling to preach. We as a church ought to be praying for that to happen. Have you ever stopped to consider that it just might be that God would use you in that way? You better make sure it's God calling you. But you better leave the door open for that possibility, you see. We go back and we think about here in our text the brevity of life that that's what he's been talking about notice everything that precedes our text has to do with the brevity of life he's showing us that nature itself teaches us that we ought to number our days because there are seasons in life and uh, just you know pretending pretending that it's always going to be the good old summertime uh Winter's never coming doesn't mean it'll be that way. Living as though you will never die doesn't mean you won't. And remembering the brevity of life can be a great benefit because it motivates us to use our life in the right way. And let me tell you, you need to be thinking about that now because as you get older, as you get older, all of a sudden you're going to notice that that 
not only does your days grow shorter, the time you're going to have on earth, but your abilities begin to diminish as the day of death approaches. You call that old age. You start getting older. You can't do the things that you used to do. Everything becomes more difficult. And all of that is a reminder of the fact that we're headed toward the grave. And I say that because you need to understand what it is God would have you to do. And you need to do what you can while you can. And believe me, there are many that are miserable right now because they know they have wasted away the years of their life. And now they look back with great sorrow and deep regret over the fact that here they are now up in years, hardly any time left, and they've wasted away all of those years. So I challenge you to stop and to consider what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And if you fail, don't make it a repeat performance. Thank God you still have an opportunity to turn things around and to do what you should. And all of this takes not only, not only planning, not only preparation, but it takes persistence. In other words, it requires effort. It's not going to just happen. Well, because you're a Christian, you're on your way to heaven and God loves you, that just automatically you're going to become what you ought to be. It doesn't happen that way. You can't do it without God's help, but God's not going to force Himself upon you. He demands effort on our part. Kind of like the old saying, you know, God feeds the sparrow, but it doesn't throw the worm in the nest. God expects us to do what we can before He will do what we can't. And so we establish our priorities and we make our plans, but it gets down to the matter of performance. And without that, all of the planning and preparation is all worthless. Think about it. God has given to each of us a wonderful gift called life. Every day, I thank God for three things, three major things. Number one, I thank God for the gift of eternal life. I thank God also for the gift of life. I think back over the years and all of my uh, many of my classmates, my friends, those that I grew up with. I understand one will be having heart surgery here in just a day or two and different ones that, that, that are already gone to heaven and, and yet for some reason God has left me here so far. I thank God for the gift of life but I also thank God for the gifts of life. And among those gifts are a lot of people, a lot of people that are gifts, as it were, to me. And we need, listen, we need to be mindful of all of these things that God has given us, freely given us. And then we need to apply our heart to wisdom, to wisdom, that we might walk wisely. Remember, as I said, this is a prayer. And, and, and in saying that, it becomes obvious that Moses realizes his need of God. Understand who he is. For the first 40 years of his life, he was a somebody. I mean, here was a young man, think about it, a young man, 40 years old, with all of the riches anyone could desire. He had authority. 
right? He had it all. He had been schooled in the very best universities and so forth. He had it all. He was a somebody, but the next 40 years, he well, he was a nobody. He's a nobody. Wandering around out there in the wilderness 40 years, he's a nobody. But in the last 40 years, God took a nobody and showed the world that he could make a somebody out of a nobody. And that's exactly what he did with Moses. And here is Moses with all of this ability, with the calling of God upon him. And now God has used him to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And here they are en route to the promised land. Boy, he could have thrown his weight around and said, Look, you bunch of knuckleheads, I'm in charge. I'm the only one with the lick of sense. You're going to follow me. You're going to do it my way. He could have had such great confidence in himself that he would have thought he didn't need God or anybody else. But this prayer shows that he understood that he needed God. And there's never been a person on earth who didn't need God. So he finishes this prayer, this psalm, starting in verse 13 with a reference to the prospects, looking, looking ahead. You know, if, I think if we're honest, every person here would say, man, I, I want to have a fabulous future. I, I want to have a wonderful ending to my life. But your future is going to be decided by what you do now. You, you can't just live to please yourself and then be pleased with the way that things turn out because it's only when we are pleased with pleasing God that we'll be pleased with our life. Did you get it? It's only when we are pleased with pleasing God, when that's our top priority, when that's our main purpose in life, to please God. When we are pleased with pleasing God, that's the only way that we will be pleased with our life. That's the only source, real source of true satisfaction. And for all of the things in life to end well, we have to do what's necessary to ensure that that's going to, going to happen. So here in this last section here, he deals with this issue how we can have blessed assurance concerning our prospects for the future. And, and this is dealing with the very core issues of life. In other words, in those verses, Moses is telling us what mattered most to him. And there's a wealth of information here. When you study this, you'll notice that it commences with the matter of reconciliation and then he continues on with reassurance. And then he concludes here at the end of it with the thought of rejoicing in the, in the radiance of a glorious reformation that, that God is going to bring about. In other words, Moses did not want things to continue as they were. He wanted changes. He wanted changes that he knew that only God could bring about. And it behooves each of us to ask ourselves the question, am I that concerned about God's will for my life? Am I that concerned about God's will for my life? Now, there's nothing about this that's hard to understand. 
I can, I can explain it. You can understand it. But I can't compel you to do it. That's your choice. And I say this respectfully but emphatically. There are those that rather than walking wisely, rather than applying their heart to wisdom, living with wisdom, some are living like fools. They live like fools because they, they break God's commandments with absolutely no concern. They ignore God's warnings as though, well, He really doesn't mean what He says. They live to please themselves instead of God, and they waste their life on the things that are of no eternal value and then expect everything to, to end well, which is impossible. So we've got a choice. We can either live like a fool or we can do as Moses did and and ask God to teach us, to help us to apply our hearts to wisdom. Jonathan Edwards that so contributed to the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards, as he wrote his resolutions, made one that I made sure that I copied in my Bible many years ago. And he resolved, quote, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Never to do anything that I'd be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. What would you do if you knew that uh, you only had a matter of minutes to live? Would it make any difference? Well, what if you knew if you you only had a matter of days or weeks or months and God just gave you a deadline and said, this is it. I'll let you get through the World Series, but that's going to be it. You'll die the day after the World Series. I mean, there's a deadline there. What would you do? What difference would it make? Well, it ought to make a big difference. It ought to make a big difference, especially if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior. If you're here and you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven if you died, that ought to matter to you. More than anything, that ought to matter. And the whole thing about it is it's so simple. It's not only easy to understand, it's simple to apply because the only hard part is what Jesus did when He died on the cross, shed His blood. Lisa sang a while ago, written in red. We don't have to wonder whether He loves us or not. He proved it when He died on the cross. And He died for you and for me and for the whole world. And you could be saved today. You could become a child of God, have all of your sins forgiven. In other words, all the record of your past be blotted out. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And it could happen. And if you're here today and you know that you're saved, but yet, although you're saved and you're on your way to heaven... For all practical purposes and things of eternal value, you're just flittering your life away, wasting it day by day. You're just basically existing rather than really contributing to the kingdom of God. Make that choice today. Make this your prayer. Get on your knees and say, Dear God, forgive me for having wasted so much of my life. Help me, teach me to apply my heart to wisdom. 
And to remember, as James said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and upbraideth not. God, God is delighted in, when his children come to him asking for wisdom. Because wisdom is the thing that every single person needs. You know, it's one thing to understand, but it's another thing to have the wisdom to know how to put your understanding to the best possible use. And we all need wisdom. As I said earlier, there are a lot of things that are so difficult, even when it comes to our priorities. It's so difficult. That's why we need wisdom instead of just winging it and taking a guess at it. We need wisdom that only God can give us. The kind of wisdom that will lead us in the paths of righteousness where in the end, finally at long last, we can look back on our life as we stand before the Lord and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that will be worth it all, won't it? Amen. Would you make this your prayer today? Whatever it is that God would have you to do, say, Lord, I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. Wherever you want to send me, whatever you want me to do, whatever it takes, if that's what it takes to please you, here I am. Send me. Would you do that? Let's stand. Father in heaven, how we thank you today for your great blessings. How we thank you, Lord, for this occasion as we meet together. How we thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us such clear guidance. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that urges us, that convicts us, and urges us to put these things to the proper use. I pray today for that man or woman, maybe a boy or girl that's here, someone that's a stranger to your saving grace without the assurance of going to heaven if they die. Lord, I pray you'll tear down every hindrance, remove every barrier. And may they today, by your grace, receive your Son as their dear Savior. For those of us that are saved, Lord, help us. Help us to number our days and to use what life we have left in a way that will bring honor and glory to your name. For we beg it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we stand and we sing together and extend this invitation, whether your need is salvation or for baptism or maybe, maybe God's leading you to be a member here at Lakeway, would you come? Maybe you just want to come and pray. I don't know. But let God have His way. I still will 
giants as it were the men and the women that live by faith and there it mentions Moses the very one who wrote this psalm the very one who prayed so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom there was a crisis moment in his life where the Bible tells us that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of Israel rather than to enjoy all of the riches and the treasures of Egypt, all of those things that were right there in the palm of his hand. And he said no to all of those things. He said, I'd rather suffer and do the will of God and be a blessing to somebody else and help them. I'd rather do that than have all of the treasures and the pleasures of Egypt. Maybe today, as the song says, that you need to make that decision. Regardless of what anybody else, though none go with me, forget about what they ought to do or what they're doing and just you decide what God would have you to do and determine to do that right now. We're going to sing another verse. And if God's speaking to your heart, you come. Will 